Welcome to We Are Meaningful, a podcast where we transform the anonymous experiences of black and brown talent into powerful audio narratives. Each month, we center the dialogue around a common theme, providing you, our listeners, with the tools and resources you need to help navigate, grow, and thrive in corporate spaces. Our stories, experiences, and our voices are meaningful. We are meaningful. Just like anyone else, I was building an interdepartmental network who could vouch for me. A necessity if you want acknowledgement from organizational leadership. So imagine my surprise when a tenured employee complained that I was not supporting her appropriately and put this in an email to my manager. I asked for clarification with every intention of understanding my shortcoming and really just looking for a resolution with my accuser. My supervisor told me not to worry about it. Why? Well, because my written request for feedback had caused this woman so much distress that she began to, wait for it, cry and whine that no one wants to help her. So to avoid dealing with it, my supervisor pulled me off the project. There was no closure for her or me, but the work still had to be done. Later that week, the culprit took to vacation without completing the task, and who was asked to step up? Yep, me. Just as I was speaking with my supervisor about the situation, in an attempt to display my commitment to teamwork, a client lead walked past our cubicles and asked, What are you over here bitching about now? All you do is bitch, bitch, bitch about things. I stopped mid-conversation with my white male supervisor and asked, Did she just call us bitches? His look of surprise and my disdainful expression validated, one, that it had actually happened, and two, it wasn't okay. He said he would handle it, and he had seen it happen, so I was relieved, and I trusted him. I let it slide for a few weeks, waiting on due process to run its course. When I asked if it had been resolved, I was given no follow-up information. Got it. We were sweeping this under the rug. Two incidents of not feeling safe in the workplace. Two times I'd done my part and followed proper protocol. Twice I had been let down. By the policy, sure. But by the people who were supposed to protect my psychological safety too. Little did I know that my perceived reputation had followed me from this unsubstantiated gossip, and it had weight. I was taken off projects to avoid anyone being held accountable for my behavior. It was normalized for these people to speak negatively and disrespect employees with no repercussions. These mouths hold the cards for projects and career ladder movement. I am now stalled in my progression because of it. Not for lack of trying, either. I went into the interview process for a leadership role, unsuspectingly, and one of my panel members brought up the year-old stories to serve as proof for their final judgment of, I would not be a good fit for the team. My biggest regret 
is holding my tongue in those moments and playing for the system that I trusted. This system wasn't built with my safety or innocence in mind. I was so concerned with not seeming like an angry black woman that I didn't show up as I should. And they ended up elevating that stereotype anyways. Now, I'm not responsible for the perceptions that others have of me, and neither is leadership really. But when it ends in rumors that people use to discriminate against me and my work, someone missed the ball. And it wasn't me. Hi, everyone. This is Crystal. And this is Krista. And as you know, the falsely accused narrative elevates the experience of black and brown women who are often accused and assigned the role of aggressor in situations of conflict. During our episode today, we'll be talking to our friend, Tolu Adesina, and we'll address how the lack of psychological safety ultimately affects the way that black and brown women enter, behave, and connect with others in corporate spaces. But to give you a little bit of information about our friend, Tolu is a recruiter who's passionate about people, candidates, and hiring managers. She's a first-generation American and has witnessed life through the eyes of immigrants, which fueled her passion to help those who may not have a voice. She is an avid traveler who is always booking her next trip. She enjoys music, cocktails, and minding her own business, which we can all learn a lot from. (laughs) In addition, she is a forest friend, sister, aunt, believer, and enjoys meeting and helping people. Welcome, 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 Tolu. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'll also say that Tolu used to work with us but she left us and we miss her so much. And she's now at Microsoft supporting their Xbox games studios. I miss y'all too. (laughs) (laughs) So you've had the opportunity to listen to falsely accused many times. So when you heard the narrative, what were your thoughts and reactions and did the story feel familiar to you? Okay, so I have a lot of feelings in regard to this, ranging from angry, sad, and insecure. I think anger because, you know, I've been in corporate America for about eight to nine years, and that narrator was myself. Um, I know the feeling of not feeling supported or not feeling like anyone has your back and feeling like you're always the person that's doing wrong, and that brought anger to me. Um I felt sad because I know people now that might be younger in their career or even older in their career, they still don't have a voice um, that they feel like is being heard. They brought up instances where I have a friend who, who was fired from a job just for just being herself. And I just like, to someone, they're like, oh, that's not true, but that's their perception. But hearing my friend, you know, tell me, like, why am I not good enough to work at a certain company? Why is being myself Um, Why don't I have someone who can advocate for me? And losing trust in management is sad to hear. And then insecure, because um, when people hear insecurities, they think of physical beings, but insecurity can range in a whole lot of aspects. And I know that going into any, like, environment, I always take the blame for everything. Like, I used to be the person that was like, oh, maybe this is me, or maybe I'm doing something wrong. Um, or maybe like I should have done things differently because from my previous work experiences, like I said, I've been the narrator um, in both times. And I've seen people not advocate or be there for me. And then happy 
because I believe that all of those experiences and any experience that you're in um, put you in a place to be better equipped to handle problems going forward and also put you in a place to advocate for those who don't have a voice. Um, so yeah, those are, that's uh, my thoughts. Those are my actions to hearing things that the narrator had to say. I want to say that you bringing up insecurity is funny because throughout all of these narratives that we've had, so when we talked about unspoken rules and when we talked about decoding the subtext, one of the underlying themes that continued to come up was insecurity and insecurity about your own story, your own perception, your own voice. Um, and how when others don't believe what you've experienced, that really does cause a lot of insecurity. And what what I love about this narrative in, in particular is that at the end, the person says, someone dropped the ball and it wasn't me. And I think that that part is so refreshing and definitely something that folks who are going through situations like this need to hear that no, you haven't done anything wrong. You did not drop the ball. These people are supposed to be here to protect you. And if they're not, they drop the ball, not you. Yes, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think that um, society has kind of like changed that narrative to blame. Oh, well, Tolu or Krista or Crystal, this is your fault. You're the one who's at fault. You shouldn't have um, bubbled this up, but it's, but we should be changing our mind to say, no, management, this is your fault. You did nothing to protect us. You did nothing to help us get through this. You did nothing to provide a psychologically safe environment for us. Yeah, and I think trust plays such a large role in that, right? Because we enter these spaces and we just come in, or at least I do, and especially when I was younger, you come into the space with the expectation that everyone around you is there with this authentic purpose, right? For we all have the same mission or vision at least because we're working for the same company within our function, whatever, whatever. So you start to, to kind of lean on the trust that you have for your colleagues and for your leaders and hoping that they do better for you or that they choose what's best for you rather. What role does trust play in this narrative and in these situations, Tolu? Yeah, um, I think trust plays a big, 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 big role um, in this narrative because um, we've all heard the saying growing up, or, or I hope that you've had that trust takes forever to build up, but a second to knock down. Um, I This resonates to me in my personal life. My girls, people that know me know that I can trust someone and be like, I love you, everything is great, but then let someone tell me that it's 79 degrees outside um, and it's really 80. I'm like, Okay, it's not that serious. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like even Drake made a song, Trust Issues. Like we're res- like it resonates with us to have trust issues to not necessarily trust people. Um, but I believe that, you know, coming into corporate America, we all go through orientation our first day of work. Um, and we're told that if you see anything um, bubble up, we have people in, in place, leaders, managers, um, that are here to protect and serve the people. That is their job. But I think, you know, what we don't ask is what are, who are those people? Because in my experience, I don't feel like management really protects and serves the people at all. I think they protect and serve those people if 
you don't bring any issues or if they don't have to do anything or if they don't have to advocate for you or if they don't have to go through the ringer for you. And I feel like you're best equipped to be a leader when you're advocating for people who don't have a voice. Um, so to answer your question, I think that trust in this narrative is the narrator expe expected her manager in two occasions to, to do something that they didn't do. And, that, and it wasn't anything that was out of the ordinary. It was things that a manager should do. If somebody um, bubbles something up, it is your duty as a manager to hear both stories and be an advocate. For truth. And, <laughs> yes, for truth. <laughs> to understand both stories. Tolu, if you can answer this question too, why does trust matter? Why does that have to exist in a professional space? So when we, when we think about you go into work, right? There are all these expectations of what people consider professionalism, especially when they want it to work in their favor, right? Like, oh, well, professionalism isn't being emotional. It isn't being hysterical, all of these things. Then why does trust need to exist at all? Yeah, I feel like trust in any type of relationship is important. So when you think about your personal life, I mean, you think about the friendships that you have or even the relationship that you have with your children or the relationship that you have with a significant other or partner. If there's no trust, there is no transparency. There's no, there's no psychological safety, um, as you would want mm -hmm. to say. There's no, none of that. And I feel like in order for someone to do the best that they can in their workplace or in their job, there has to be a sense of trust. What I also elevate um, in a lot of what you said is that we hope we have these people who are in these roles who are supposed to protect us, but then we sometimes have situations, as we mentioned in the beginning, where people of color are often seen as the aggressor in situations. And I think one thing that keeps us um, from being seen otherwise is representation. Because if there aren't people who are in power, who are at the table, who look like you, who think like you, then the things that come up for you aren't really important for them. So it really brings up a quote that I've heard so many times. And the first time I heard it, I was just like, wow, that's amazing. Is that if you aren't at the table, you're on the menu. Mm. So Ooh. if I'm not sitting at the table, like sharing feedback letting people know that, you know, this is wrong for X reason, then they ain't thinking about me. They aren't thinking about how people like me feel when X happens or how I might be perceiving something differently than they are. So it's almost like you are a non-factor in that case. Correct. Correct. I 100% agree. Krista and I talk about this a lot, and I think, Tolu, you and I feel more comfortable with our corporate clap backing, <laughs> which means <laughs> that we approach situations in a way that we put our foot down. We aren't unprofessional, but we're also clear and assertive about mm -hmm. X situation and the effect of that situation. So a lot of times we have... Um, black and brown women in the workplace who can't do that. They don't feel comfortable doing that. So how do you feel that leaders and allies can create a space that feels safe for those folks who need a voice? Yes. I think the first thing that we, that leaders need to know is actually what psychological safety is. I think that psychological safety is not something that like we have, like it hasn't been, 
a terminology in corporate America for the last 20 years. Something that I think became a hot topic within the last two to three mm-hmm. years. Um, and still now they're asked someone, what is psychological safety? They're thinking of like, can I come to work and feel like a gunman isn't going to come in? Can I come to work and know if there's a tornado, we have something in place? Can I come to work? Like they're thinking still about their physical safety. So um, I, you know, I have my own opinion of what psychological safety is, but for the viewers, um, I looked it up on Wikipedia and psychological safety is being able to show and employ oneself without fear of negative consequences of self-image, status, or career. Is a condition in which you feel included, safe to learn, safe to contribute, and safe to challenge the status quo. All without being, all with, all without the fear of being embarrassed, marginalized, or punished in some way. Um, so to answer your question, how do I feel like leaders can create a psychological safety space for us? First of all, they just need to know what it is. They need to know that. People of color also feel like we have feelings. I think that sometimes in work, people forget that people are humans and they look at people as like dollar signs. And you have to remember that everyone you come in contact with has a feeling based on or has an experience based on where they were born or based on how they were grown, how they were raised, that's different than you. So I would begin by asking questions. Get to know um, people. Understand what people of color feel, what are their ticking points, and what their experience has been in corporate America. Um, As a person of color, I can relate to this, but I don't know what someone who has a disability or someone who is in the LGBTQ um, group feels. So I do this to other people that are in different groups because they also experience um, a sense of not feeling psychologically safe. Um, I would also have people advocate for us. And if you see something, say something. I think that being quiet um, admits guilt. So if you see someone that is being treated unjustly, or if you see someone, or if you're a leader and you hear about something, or your employee comes to and they tell you, like, this is the way that I feel, it's your job to advocate for us, it's your job to research, and it's your job to make sure that we feel safe, because you are awarded that power to do so. And then lastly, the biggest thing that I've seen and that I've heard and that I've witnessed and that I've been a part of is don't use promotion merit to scare us to do something that you want to do. So like, for example, don't say like, this is the type of stuff that's going to get you promoted or this is the type of stuff that won't get you promoted or this is what you're, you're failing at because that only hurts. Like that just makes us feel like no matter what we do, it's not good enough. And we can mess up on one thing that shouldn't be career limiting for us. And I think that that is actually like a very dangerous weapon. And it's actually a very common weapon that I've heard and seen people use throughout my career. Yeah. And I think um, the interesting thing about see something, say something, and we can talk about this more in another episode, Crystal, is that something is so arbitrary right? So whereas you and Tolu are in this space where you feel super comfortable saying something about anything that doesn't feel like it's black or it's white, right? It it feels right or it's wrong, whatever it is. I think that there's a group of us who are still kind of trying to live in the gray and figure out when something is worth being said about. So we have all these things that happen with us when we're accused and 
we're kind of dismissed for the things that we've said or the way that we feel. And it makes us insecure, like what you said before, Tolu, about being willing to say things going forward. How would you say that some of the situations that we've talked about and the way that you've been accused in the past have changed the way that you enter, behave, and connect with others now, like in the corporate spaces that you're currently entering? What's different about the way you behave and arguably like protect yourself or read the room? Yeah, um, I think that what I have learned is the way that I enter. Like, I want to still be true to who I am. And who I am is everyone that, like, is my friend. Mm -hmm. Um, And I use that word very, very strongly, friend. And there's a difference between being friendly and being my friend. So those Mm -hmm. that know me understand, like, I'm kind. I'm nice. I try to keep the best in people. I honestly try to do what's right. My heart is always in the right place. Um, But I am also kind of a firecracker. I do speak up when I think that something is done unjustly. And I do advocate for myself because I don't feel like I've ever had anyone who has done that for me um, in my career without a hidden agenda. Um, So, you know, the first thing that I do when I enter into any environment is that I'm conscious and I'm also careful. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm careful about the way that I show up. I'm careful about the way that I communicate. I'm careful about the things that I say. I'm even careful about the things that now I listen to because you know, like I said, like, if you're quiet, you're just as guilty. And people have used that against me because I didn't necessarily say anything. They assumed that I was on their side. And Mm -hmm. they spoke for me when I wasn't there. So I'm just very, very careful. Um, I'm nurturing, but I'm not naive. I'm a nurturer. I'm a feelings-based person. I honestly care about how people feel, what's going on in someone's head. Um, But sometimes people um correlate being nurturing with being like naive and I always have to show up in a way that like I care but I still know what is going on around me like I'm not stupid like I went to a good school I have two degrees like I don't I honestly don't have to need to list all that shit out to y'all but like I'm not a child so I think it also goes to being kind but not thinking that I'm a kid like I think that sometimes like people assume that y'all have to be heartless to make it in corporate America. And I think that's what I've seen. I've seen people that are have a hidden agenda, people that aren't kind, people that aren't, their heart is in the right place, get promoted. And then you see the people that are, and they've been in the same role for the last five years. Um, I don't, I don't want to run over people to advance in my career. Um, I also, um, emotionally like try to disconnect but not be emotionless so something's happened and I've always said this in my life the way that people treat you is a self-reflection of how they feel about themselves um wow. if people are manipulative it's because they feel like they've been manipulated their entire life if people lie it's because they themselves are not confident in who they are and what they're saying so I always try to take out the feelings like, well, I wouldn't do this. I totally would never do this. But Jimmy is doing this to me. If there's any Jimmys out there that work at any of my previous companies, this isn't about you. Um, <laughs> sit down, Jimmy. <laughs> sit down. <laughs> sit down, Jimmy. Don't. Uh-uh. So, um, yeah, I always try to just be emotionally inept when it comes to what people are doing. And then also, um, I've realized that, like, I don't have. And it's very, very difficult to have actual friends in corporate America. I think about some instances where I thought people were my friends. And the minute they could do something that could advance their career versus mine, they did it. And they did it without caring. And these are people that, like, 
have been to my place or I've been to their place or we've hung out on the weekends or Mm -hmm. I've been there for their panic attacks and your anxiety attacks and your insecurities. Yet when I just needed you to show up, you couldn't because you would have to show up in the detriment of your own self. And I just, I have learned the hard way. And even like, I just don't have friends in corporate America unless these people can relate to me in another way that isn't work. And um, it's, it's been hard. It's been hard because I try to see the good in everyone and not everyone has good in them. So um, it's been a learning experience, but all of that, I wouldn't change it for the world. Like I would not, like all of that has made me who I am today. And I'm super thankful for the experiences, for the hurt, for the tears, for the laughter, for the non-promotions, for the promotions, because everything that I have has like landed me to where I am today. And there's so many people in the world who don't have that same opportunity. I would definitely say that all the things that you've said are excellent points. And there may be some folks who are listening who are still very early on in their career. And most of this comes with experience. Because when I initially entered into the workplace, and I think Tolu, we both agree here, we wanted to be friendly with people. And we may not have understood the friendly and friends isn't really the same thing. But over time, we've grown to a space where we can clap back in a way that is professional, in a way that helps people to learn, this is what the gap in opportunity is. What are you going to do to close it? Or you did X. How are you going to make it right? So I think that that all comes with growth and experience in corporate spaces. But as always, I will say, it is very annoying to me um, that we have to kind of like hopscotch and like move around people in a way to make them feel comfortable. And obviously ideal state is that we don't have to. And I realize that, you know, this is something that we have to do right now. My hope is that in the future we'll grow to a space where we are in ideal state that we don't have to keep ducking and dodging. Right. Cause right now we're in this space where we have to like navigate so much nonsense that our counterparts don't have to. And I think when we talk about psychological safety, most of the turmoil around it comes from the emotional labor that we're putting into creating our own psychologically safe spaces or just protecting ourselves in these spaces that aren't psychologically safe. So I completely agree. And I'll also say that I really admire Crystal and Tolu. I admire the both of you for the fact that every time you do clap back, it's with purpose. So I think you spoke a little bit to it, Crystal, but it's really just about every time you say something, it's because it needs to be said and it has to be said. So the call out that you gave to all of us who are younger in our careers, I really, really appreciate that. Always here for you, girl. Always. (laughs) (laughs) So Tolu, we've really enjoyed this conversation with you today. And if our listeners want to follow you online, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is always a great um, way to start, um, which is by, you know, my name is Tolu Adesina. There shouldn't be that many of us, but there probably is, but you'll find <laughs> me, you'll see me. Um, and then, you know, send me a, drop me a message, like, let me know how I can help you, whether that's you just asking questions or you wanting advice or just lots of ideas, because I think that I've, I've made the best decisions when I went to people that 
have been through something similar and not just making decisions based on my own emotional reaction. I'm also on Instagram. I'm going to have to do a little background search. I don't let anyone from work follow me. Um, I started that in this new job because a lot of people, I just don't let people from work follow me anymore. So um, my Instagram name is I get it underscore you're mad. You are mad. Um, yeah. So that's basically it. When I saw your Instagram name, I literally heard you saying it in my head. Mm-hmm. I get it. You're mad. You're mad. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the We Are Meaningful podcast. Follow us on Instagram at wearemeaningful.co and visit our website to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. We're excited to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Talk to you next week.